suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, thank you, Sir David, for that intro. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. We're up to episode 292. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me as always, Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. Shay, who has yet to have a nickname. Welcome again, Shay. Hi, everyone. And Jay, the tech guy. Evening, all. Right. As a podcast, as usual, we talk about news and politics and sex and religion and gender. And we talk about gender and gender a lot is probably what's going to be happening over... Well, it happened last week and it's going to be happening this week. Can we talk about sex tonight? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that too. So, so yes, because really the topic at the moment is about um, the feminism movement and the rallies and what's going on in our federal parliament and, and that seems to be the focus. So we'll obviously concentrate on that to start with and see how we're going. If you're in the chat room, say hello. Hello to Daniel and Rachel. Hello, Rachel, a friend of mine. So good on you, Rachel. Um, yes, so let's start off with uh, our old friend Christian Porter. And so Christian decided he needed a few weeks off for stress leave. Call me crazy, but if you're wanting to avoid stress and you head to one of the most high-priced lawyers in Australia and start organising a defamation case... I don't think that would lower your stress levels, do you? Like, it, it, no. wouldn't, it wouldn't be, I don't know, it was a mental health did, break. Maybe did, maybe this helps his mental health to, to mm. let loose and start but an action. Did he actually go there initially to organise a defamation suit or just to get advice, general advice? Well, who knows, but he, that's what he's ended up doing. That's what he's ended up doing, yes. yes. But I think yeah. the way you couched it sounded like that was his, you know... Well, initial aim, and we d- we don't he, know that he definitely gave the impression that he had to take time off mm. from what was a grueling and exhausting and harrowing experience of being hauled in front of the cameras, and he couldn't work because he needed to get his head together. That's understandable in the that is, but but as part of that, the idea is go and sit at home, detox for a while, rest, recuperate, clear your head, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. I just wouldn't have thought that starting a pretty high-risk defamation case is necessarily good mental therapy. I, I, I just I don't know that his doctor would have prescribed that as as a as a thing to do when you're trying to get mental rest. Never been in that situation. So yeah, you wouldn't think it'd know. be sort of stressful. Anyway, so um, so on stress leave. Uh, the day after the Liberal Party was obliterated in Western Australia and on the same day as the nationwide women's rally, he announces his defamation case against the ABC. So this is interesting, I think, because there were calls for an inquiry into his guilt um, or otherwise. And he was like, well, we can't do that because what am I going to say except was not me. No point in having an inquiry. But now he's coming out with 
a defamation case. And one of the defences for the ABC will be that it is substantially true, the allegation, which will then lead to... An inquiry. An inquiry as to his guilt. Like, there'll be witnesses called and and assessments made as to whether he's guilty or not. So I think this is a little risky but quite clever because if it was just an inquiry conducted the way it has been proposed, the almost certain outcome would be inconclusive. We can't tell if he's guilty or not. This way, the way the defamation laws work, they're actually very plaintiff-friendly. So he's got a, uh, a system that is favourable to him and difficult for the ABC. And remember, now we've just got the ABC that's going to be running the case to prove his guilt rather than the whole mechanism of an independent inquiry where you've got the government supplying all sorts of people and able to... I don't know. If I was facing up to an opposition and I was in Christian Porter's shoes, I would rather be facing an ABC-funded defamation trial than a full-blown inquiry with all sorts of people involved. And the likelihood is that he will be found to have a successful defamation case and he can say, well, I won. I won my defamation case and it's all over and I will continue. Rather than an inconclusive case against a better prepared defence. That's the way I see it. Anybody mm. disagree with that assessment? There seems to be why it's panning out. Yeah. So... Of course, the risk is that that they come back and say, well, actually, there was substantial truth to the ABC allegation and then his career is in ruins. Yeah. But um, that's the way he's decided to and, run it. And isn't the defamation not necessarily about the uh, alleged rape case but about his behaviour in general? I don't know exactly what it'll come down to. Is so. it not... To do with the uh, quality of the reporting in the ABC, because I recall reading one article in the ABC, the ABC online news site, and I was a little bit surprised by the wording used. They didn't just say he was accused of raping this young woman, you know, when they were both teenagers. They actually used the word brutal. They said he was, you know... Well, a brutal anal rape is sort of what's been alleged. Oh, right. So mm. an anal rape, yes. yes. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, um, well, I don't know. I just I just thought that the ABC in reporting that was a little bit intemperate with their language. Well, if it's true, that this is the thing. Brutal, we don't know. To, to be raped, yeah, is, is, a, is, a, is a criminal act, obviously. Um but to then embellish it with, you know, extra adjectives to make it sound even, you know, more horrible, I think is a, a little bit risky, isn't it, in reporting? I think you know where I'm coming from. I, I mean, to report that he was accused of rape, I think, is enough, isn't it? Without trying to embellish it with extra adjectives, you know, to, I don't know, inflame pe the reader's emotions. Mm. So... 
I don't, I don't know whether that's part of the reason for his uh, his uh, libel suit against him. No, that's not the reason. Just because of that embellishment, if that's what you want to call it, mm. would not be the reason. It's all about trying to get a clear name for him where he can say, mm. I ran a defamation case, I won. They were shown to have not been able to prove the truth of the matter, therefore yes. I continue on as as normal. That's his tactic, I think. Mm. So we'll see. I don't know. Very interesting case coming up. That'll cost a lot of money for some people. Um, the ABC didn't actually name him originally, but his argument is that there was enough information about that people could surmise that it was him. So that's another part of the whole thing. Mm. So... Uh, we'll see how that all pans out. But he was eventually named mm. after he outed himself. He yes. Was, he was obviously named. Yes. And the ABC will say, well, you outed yourself. And they will say, but there was already enough information given that identified me. So that'll all come out in the wash. Yeah. So Could it have anything yeah. to do with that, the, uh, the Four Corners uh, program that they did on him? And who was the yeah, other? that's the... Initial Four Corners program, I think, is what they're talking about. Mm. Is that what he's suing for? The yeah, yeah, so. Oh, so yeah. not about uh, online articles? No, no, I think it's the Four oh, Corners. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it is the Four Corners mm. article. Okay. Yeah. So interesting tactic, interesting timing. Um, we'll see. Um, uh, probably, you know, he's obviously got very good advice about yes. this. So the chances are he'll get a win. Well, not of defamation. Of... What, who are they now? Minter the law firm. Allison. What is it was a Minter Allison who's resigned over it. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, we'll get onto that. So, um, oh well, well, we'll just mention it. So, let me just find where I had that down. Um, uh, it was the acting sort of manager of the practice. Yes, it? it was the boss of Minter Allison. Um, she put out an email to all staff because he initially got advice through the partner at Minter Ellison and she put out an email saying, the nature of this matter is clearly causing hurt to some of you and it has triggered hurt for me. And the partners basically said, what are you talking about? We're a law firm. This is the sort of stuff we do. Exactly. And he went through all the normal protocols. So she was not a lawyer. She came in as oh. an, a... Um, some sort of accountant, a consulting background. And that is one of the things about the law is you can represent people without, uh, like murderers. Ivan Milat needed a defence counsel. Like nobody looks down on the people who act in these matters because everyone's entitled to representation. So um, The whole Cardinal yeah. Pell thing, people yeah. going, who, who could act for him? And it's right. like, well... Yeah. If he doesn't get a decent defence, then yeah. he's been unjustly prosecuted. Yeah, indeed. So certainly in legal circles, it's like mm. there's no, um, there's no disgrace in acting for all sorts of shady characters because everybody's entitled to something. And yes. she got that very wrong. She, yeah, I, th I thought it was an extraordinary act mm. on her part. And, mm. and if you were working a law firm, law firm, Trevor, and mm. you received that kind of message from the uh, the manager, wouldn't you be a little bit surprised? No, I think clearly they were. They were outraged, mm. the whole firm, it seems, all the partners. It didn't take long for them to say, on your bike. It did not take long at all. Mm. So, yeah. So, anyway. Um, According to um, the Fin Review and Crikey, though, mm -hmm. uh, she 
sort of been employed as this progressive person that was bringing this firm into you know consideration considering minority groups that had the first uh gay and lesbian float at the mardi gras so a kind of diversity I just wanted officer. to add that yeah that uh, kind of i was, am in yeah, yeah. like i am in agreement that was uh ill-considered to sell, send that email and she certainly should have sought yeah, legal advice before you, she wrote it. You're right, but that was one of her roles was to kind of provide a softer side exactly. to the firm. Yes, so she may yeah. have thought she was um, doing her role. Yes. yes. To, to make it less but, blokey. But, but, but apparently she drafted an even stronger email and oh. she was talked out of it. Oh. Yeah, oh. I read that somewhere. Oh. So mm. Should have just deleted them all. So, yeah. I wonder she didn't um, arrange... Um, uh, what is it? Inherent bias uh, training for for the staff of the law firm. Yeah. What do they call it again? Consent. Um, no, Consent. no, it's about uh, implicit bias. That's it. Implicit right. bias training. Right. I don't know. Anyway, mm. just on this whole um, this whole sexual assault allegations against federal politicians and staffers. What is the view of the community out there? And there was a poll done asking people. Uh, is this just a Canberra insider story? Only 16% of people thought that. Uh, what is happening in Canberra is relevant to all women. 68% of Australians agreed. It's time women were believed when they say they have been assaulted. 67 agree. Because the charge of rape is so serious, the burden of proof needs to be high. 62% agree. So on those ones about uh, it's relevant to all women and women need to be believed... On those sorts of questions, I find the interesting thing is obviously, or unsurprisingly, females more than males agreed with that statement. But the interesting one is in age groups, the 18 to 34 were less likely to agree with those statements. People in their middle age and older were more likely to agree. So young people were less likely to agree with those statements. I find that interesting and what about the wording mm. of one of them? It's time women were believed. Mm. So that implies that women weren't believed. Mm. It does. Which, mm. to me, looks like push polling. It's, it's, I don't know if that's push polling in the definitive sense, but it's certainly... Well, if you're yeah. asking people, it's, it, it, do you agree it's time women were believed? Isn't it implied that women weren't believed? It does Prior imply that, to this? yes. And it's different to a question that might have been, should women be believed? To me, that would be better. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it's wise not to try to, mm. um, what would you say, put ideas into the heads of the people you're polling. Mm. The questions need to be carefully worded, mm. I think. Take all polls with a grain of salt, but it is just interesting that the younger generation, given the same questions, responded less enthusiastically in support of women. Shay, as a representative of that eighteen to thirty-four year old group, defend your 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 cohort here. Why? Well, does that surprise you? Would you have yes, thought I younger think they people? would have been like certainly I was at the march mm. on Monday and we seemed to be highly represented our age group. Yeah, at that march, um, might be just an error in this poll. Can I ask you, Shay, why did you attend? Um. Because I think that um, they need to clean up what happened to Brittany Higgins. 
Do you think it was just about Brittany Higgins? No, I think it was about the way that we are uh, overrepresented as sexual assault survivors. And um, we've had enough. We've really had enough. We want justice done. But Some justice to be seen, to be done somewhere. So as a support for people who are agitating for things to be done? Yes. Would that be a good way of framing it? Yes. A support for the concept? Hmm. Do you have any ideas of what could be done? There was a petition yes. associated with these rallies. And? and uh, Do you know the wording of the petition? I did look it up. It was not, some of it was quite vague. Some of it was more specific. There's about sort of eight different things on there um, from things like Staff at Parliament House should be subject to normal employment rules, for example, rather than these little fiefdoms that every member of Parliament can just fire at will people within their own group. And so were things as specific as that, but there were more things about more generalised things. So, yeah, a wide-ranging bunch of things. So The um, woman who spoke uh, or made a speech on Monday at the end, said that um, respect the respect report that was done in 2018, a number of the recommendations from there. I meant to grab it before I got here tonight, but um, I would definitely I can I can bring it for you next week mm-hmm. to, and show you which ones yeah. I, yeah. I think would make a difference to these. Um, the petition said something like that all 58 recommendations of the respect... Yes. Um, be implemented. Be implemented. That was one of the yeah, recommendations. Like to see what so, they, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. So those are the sorts of things. Mm. So you were in the Brisbane one, and it was just a rally rather than a march, just a gathering somewhere in a park. Uh, we met at King George Square, and then we marched to Parliament House. Okay. And um, yeah, the Premier and a few of the state members were there to greet us, and yep, I think it was well received. Mm-hmm. The uh, mm-hmm. People we passed by clapped, so. <laughs> Any idea of numbers? It looked like a lot. Like uh, a thousand, so if it 2,000? If there was, I was trying to work it out this morning when I was listening to the news. So if we had 100,000 in total, I'd say we probably came close to five to 7,000 mm. in Brisbane. It was big. Right. That's a mm. lot. Mm. In the chat room, John says, I was talking to the 18-year-old girlfriend of my son yesterday and she commented that some women lie about these issues. She didn't really know about the new issue as she doesn't pay attention to politics. So anyway, just a distrust of her fellow females as potential liars. On your your reading list, Trevor, there was mention of a Japanese female politician who said something similar. Yes. Um, where was that one? Uh, da, da, da. Uh, that was the female MP awarded Japan's most sexist comment. <laughs> so, um, yes. Uh, she'd finished second in 2019 after saying that members of the LGBT community were unproductive <laughs> because they can't have children. But she won it this year by saying women can lie as much as they like about sexual violence. So... That's a female sort of um, conservative politician in Japan, which you don't really think of of Japan as having uh, that sort of character in their politics. But really, I, I hadn't, but mm. clearly they do. Yeah, and yeah. it's a very uh, patriarchal society. Japan, it is more yes. more so than here. Yes. Yeah. So interesting that a female politician has 
has taken on that mm. patriarchal view. Mm. Well, you can call it a patriarchal view mm. or you can just say that mm. maybe that's been her experience. Mm. Yes. You know, mm. I, th- I think it's a little bit unfair to label it a patriarchal view because mm. she is a woman mm. and she's speaking as a woman mm. and maybe her life experience tells her that mm. some women at least lie about Various things, including mm. you know, sexual misdemeanors. Mm. Women can have a patriarchal view, though. You can have a patriarchal viewpoint. So, oh. so I agree with you. Maybe we patriarchal, maybe not the best expression, but it doesn't just because you are a woman doesn't mean you can't adopt a viewpoint that's anti-woman, for example. Well, I, I don't think she was necessarily. No, no being but I'm just saying, just because you are somebody doesn't mean you can't take a view that traditionally is thought of as being held by somebody of another sex or another gender. Yes, but it's also mm. not fair to say mm. that women cannot criticise other women, you know. And I didn't say that. I think it's, it's interesting that she sort of, uh, uh, well... But to say that she has a patriarchal view, I think, is... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll withdraw the patriarchal, but I just think it's uh, interesting that she's uh, a, a traitor to the sisterhood. Can I say that? <laughs> yes, you can. Well, I, I think actually relevant to this was the um, French case, and it's a bit of a tangent, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> the uh, murder of the French school teacher. Yes, yes. Who was accused of being a racist in class, mm. and now the girl who accused him of kicking them out of class for being Muslims, which incited the... which incited him being murdered on the steps of the school or mm. outside the school. Mm. Um, the police knew he'd been interviewed by the police and he mm. had said she'd been suspended. Mm. Turns out she wasn't even in the class and mm. she's now admitted that. Mm. So it does happen that people get accused of things for attention, for whatever mm. reason. People lie. People do lie. Mm. Yeah. And the, um, the article you sent us was, I think, in French, so I Googled it. Mm. Yes. And... Um, Apparently, it was actually quite clear knowledge that the father knew she'd been suspended. Yes. So she knew, like, he uh, knew, the he dad knew, knew the daughter wasn't there. Right. So yeah, while she was lying or not, it doesn't necessarily mean he he didn't just kill him because he could. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know that the murderer knew that, but certainly, yeah, the father knew that. Right. But okay. the, I think it's, I mean, it's an assumption, but... It's foreseeable that the murderer would have killed him anyway just for the crime. Of showing the pictures. Of yeah, showing the absolutely. pictures, exactly, yeah. Anyway, people yes. do lie. People lie. Yes. And I think... Um, I don't. And, yes. <laughs> well, maybe sometimes. And this survey is sort of indicating that people in the younger age groups are perhaps more willing to recognise that based on the answer to that question, Maybe. it seems. Yeah, or more but, aware of that. I'm more aware like, of that or, or, or I more don't what? Know, because <laughs> the charge of rape is so serious, the burden of proof needs to be high. Is that what you're referring to as, no, as um, determining? It's, it's time women were believed when they say they've been assaulted. Okay. 59% of 18 to 34-year-olds agree. Mm. 71% of 55 plus. So it's 12% difference. So just a, yeah. yeah. Anyway, could be that they're you know they might read the question the differently. Way, the way indeed. that Paul reads it, indeed. Indeed. thinking, I believed it. 
Indeed. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, hard to explain that one. All right. Uh, Western Australian election, just quickly, uh, landslide over there that as predicted and in the lower house, Labor has won probably 50 seats, Liberals probably three, Nationals probably five. Um, in the upper house, Labor will win probably 23 of the 36 seats. So that's not nearly as big a margin as in the lower house. And the reason is that there's a ridiculous arrangement in terms of voting in Western Australia. With the, is it different? Yes. The way that, well, gerrymander is probably not the right word, but here's how it works. The Legislative Council, the upper house, is elected from six regions. Each region elects six members. Three of those regions cover metropolitan Perth, which includes 75% of all voters. The other three regions cover the remainder of the state. So you've got three regions holding 75% of the population and three regions holding 25% of the population. And each region elects the same number of upper house politicians. Mm. Seems unbalanced, it's doesn't extremely it? Extremely unbalanced. Sounds like the Electoral College. So <laughs> it's um it, this is the Sounds problem like with these upper houses in in all countries it seems. Like Australia with our federal system, yeah. we have a fixed number of senators per That's state. Right. Even the though some Tasmania states Tasmania gets yeah. the same number of, yeah. of um Senate seats. Senators as, as Victoria. Yeah, and, and New South Wales. It's not a problem in the UK. Yeah. You no, just have, they have 26 bishops instead. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but then in the US, they've got two senators per state. So somewhere like Wyoming, which has got three men and a dog, uh, gets two senators. Meanwhile, California also gets two senators. So there's a lot of uh, our democracies aren't perfect, are they? Mm. Mm-hmm. But perhaps as uh, with Australia and, yeah. and, and the reason why Tasmania and Western Australia and South Australia were given equal representation mm. In the Senate was to create a more, what we say, uniform sense of we're all in this together to, to use a. a oh, no, it was a phrase. fear that they would be ganged up on mm. by the more populous states. Well, that, that's my point. Yeah. And the same in the United States, because some of those Midwestern states have yeah. a lot less, a lot fewer people than uh, yeah. some of the bigger coastal states. Mm. So maybe it was a similar mm. reason. Mm. So, uh, so anyway, that's interesting. And um, so big wins in Queensland recently, Western Australia now, both Labor. New South Wales, apparently the polls are really good for Berejiklian. So Liberal, obviously. So the Labor vote in New South Wales has crashed to 23.9%. So it just goes to show that these state... The governments have really been well rewarded in terms of the the COVID response is basically what's happening, you'd have to say. Even though, Paul, you think people are stupid for thinking that way, that you'd have to say that's probably why these results are like this is because people are in favour of the COVID response by these state governments. Yeah, right or mm. rightly or wrongly, they, mm. they appear to mm. largely approve that. But don't get excited if you think that's going to transfer federally. So in 2001 in Queensland, Peter Beattie led Queensland Labor to 66 of the 89 lower house seats. So 66 um, and 
the coalition got 15. But uh, nine months later, um, Howard won comfortably the Queensland federal seats. So it doesn't necessarily follow that people will say in Western Australia. And federal yeah. Labor mm. share of the primary vote has been declining year by year, hasn't it? Federal Labor, um, well, they've lost in recent times. They haven't just so. lost. Mm. Their, their share of the primary vote apparently has been declining over the years. Steadily declining. Um, compared to the Lib... I don't mean, um, what do you call it, after they distribute preferences. I yeah. mean the primary vote. Right. Yeah, I would suggest yeah. that people are voting Green. Mm. But the Greens have never risen much above 10%, have they ever? I don't know the history of the primary vote in federally mm. with Labor. don't know. It was just something mm. I saw recently mm. and thought, oh, that's mm. interesting. Hello in the chat room. James has joined us. Good on you, James. Everyone's having a good chat in there. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, just on these sort of approval, how, how do you rate your state government's response to COVID-19 outbreak? Um, in terms of good, New South Wales, 75%. Victoria, 62%. That's a big bounce up. It had dropped to 49 but now it's bounced back up to 62 Queensland, 75 South Australia, 85 Western Australia, 91%. These are big, strong numbers. And just on the vaccine, another um, they asked, once the vaccine becomes available to you, how long would you wait before taking it? And the I'll never get vaccinated number is now 12%. So that's up a couple of percent. And, and with that figure, I'll never get vaccinated, 9% male, 15% female. As a representative you know of the female I'm... community. <laughs> I'm forming a, um, a theory about it, yeah. which is that um, some of my Facebook friends who have their reservations about vaccinating are putting them up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So where if I wanted to look for information, I'd, I would Google it. Mm-hmm. Some of my most predominantly female friends are typing into Facebook what do you think? What have you heard? And then they chat. Right. And then the comments are largely inaccurate right. information. And then a Facebook fight so ensues. Okay, so you're blaming so, Facebook for some so of this? So I'm just saying that um, people using the, the way people use appropriate avenues, like uh, mm. maybe, maybe younger people looking for. Um, something to put on Facebook and Instagram rather than actually, okay. like, fact-checking. Okay. But I thought young people don't use Facebook. I thought I thought, I thought people the in stats their 20s... like, 17 some million do. or something, so... Yeah, yeah, but, like, I just thought some young people in their 20s have stopped using Facebook because their parents are on there and it's embarrassing. <laughs> Isn't that the case? Haven't we done this well, before? Yeah. I that's don't what know my what the stats say. Yeah. My I daughters... Think that's a my daughters are, no, 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 no. This is a thing for sure. Somebody look up a stat or Google it. I've but, met lots of people in their 20s that use Facebook. Yeah, but your, your lived experience is not a, is not a statistic. You know, it's, it's if you... I'm sure we can drag our statistic for next week if is somebody you, in the chat room doesn't bring what, one out. What you heard from your daughter is yeah. statistic? Uh, but no, I've seen it backed up by, by numbers in terms of young people not uh, sort of abandoning Facebook and going to Instagram. 
So as yeah. a representative of all the female population, you don't like my theories, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I just, I just <laughs> don't I know. Workshop. I, I don't know about that there one. There was a concern that just as the government was rolling out the vaccine, um, the news services, including a lot of government health services, were blocked by Facebook. Mm. And the anti-vaxxers weren't blocked. Right. So they got three or four days to spread bullshit without it being counted. Mm. Yes. So and that's mm. and that may be another thing is that people don't really know where mm. to get their accurate information. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not from your girlfriend. I, right. I, I have a theory on these, <laughs> okay. these polls. Oh, great. Oh, okay. I'm not, on the I'll never get vaccinated poll? No, 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 oh. no. The, the popularity of the governments, you know, these governments oh. experiencing, you know, surges in their popularity at elections like we had in Queensland, like mm. WA. Maybe people are just so relieved because they've been told by governments all over the country, mm. you're all going to die unless you do what we tell you. Yeah, okay. And most people didn't die. So they're like, phew, gee, we came out of that okay. Maybe what the government did was the right thing. I'm going to vote for them. You know, rightly or wrongly, uh, whether their information is good or faulty, people are relieved that mm. they didn't die after all that, you know. Uh, your pe- your the theory news. is that people have been uh, uh, swallowed a propaganda line. That's one to be way scared, of and they're relieved that they've. Well, they it. were certainly filled mm. with fear, you mm. know, with all the, uh, mm. you know, hyping of, of the an, danger. Un, an unjustified fear. I think so. Mm. Here we go. Twenty twenty stats for Facebook. Nineteen point three percent are in the age twenty five to thirty four. Yeah, but how has it progressed over time? Have have I have you got something that shows um, progression over time? in terms of participation. I'm just looking for that. Right. Okay. You keep looking for that, Joe. Um, Yes. So when it comes to vaccinations, the people most likely to say no are female and young. So if you're old and conservative, uh, you're probably white conservative old men (laughs) more likely to get vaccinated. Gosh. Oh, here you go. Yeah. Of all US social media users surveyed, 32% of those aged 12 to 34 identified Facebook as the most uh, social media platform they use the most. Mm-hmm. However, this is a drastic drop from only five years ago when the top usage was 58. So, so 58 down to what? 32. Yeah. Definitely abandoning mm-hmm. it. So there we go. Right. Um, just in terms of gen, we keep this is dominated by gender. This particular episode, uh, there's a thing called the Australian Election Study, a nationally representative survey of voter behaviour that's run after all federal elections since 1987. And in 2019, it showed that although the Liberal National Coalition won the federal election, the Liberal Party attracted the lowest proportion of women's votes since 1987. So. While 45% of men gave their first preference to the Liberal Party, just 35% of women did. So there's a big gender gap there in terms of first preference. And that's a switch around from what it was 30 years ago. So um, back in the 90s, women were more likely to vote Liberal. Um, Men were more likely to vote Labor. So this is not unique to Australia. It's happening in other democracies around Europe and North America. So um, so that's interesting. Women less likely to vote 
LNP than men significantly. And that's a movement in the last 20, 30 years. And just in terms of participation, um, actually, I've just got this one here. In terms of representation by women in the major parties, so um, less than 20% of coalition House of Reps MPs are female compared to 42% of Labor MPs. So there's a lot more Labor female MPs than coalition female MPs. Coalition, only 20%. Labor, 42%. In the Senate, females, 42% for the coalition, 60% for Labor. So, mm. so there we go. And just another fun fact, stock exchange data for the top 300 listed companies um, 30, uh, looking at the directors, uh, 31% are women. So, so when it comes to participation, the Labor Party, 42% in the lower house, 60% in the upper house, they're getting close to 50%, fairly representative. Be interesting to see if that translates into votes. Mm. Um, and given the sort of, I don't know how long this is going to last. Like at the moment, the Morrison government's on the nose about these sorts of issues. But I think people have short memories. Six months' time, I think they'll have moved on to other stuff. And People usually vote on economic matters. Indeed. That's still the main game. Rather than these sort of ideological ones. Yeah, I think that's... So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Jobs um, and growth. Mm, jobs and growth. Um, just a quick Noosa Temple of Satan update. Joe, you went to some satanic beers. Was that good fun? It was. Right. It was unfortunately sparsely attended. Yes. But uh, anyway, you went there. That was good. Uh, for those who are following, we've started with a prayers in parliament action. So basically the argument is this, that under Queensland Anti-Discrimination Act, which on the face of it applies to the running of parliament because the speaker is in charge of a state government program being the running of the parliament, uh, you're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of religion. And if you do a the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the um, sitting day, that's going to be uncomfortable for people who, don't, who aren't Christian. It's and not the same because reasons... Because reasons, yeah. <laughs> so there was a petition. There was uh, a petition some but, time ago. When mm. was it? Last year or the year before? There's been various petitions, but the petitions mm. just simply say, "Please stop because we don't like it, and we ask that you just not cease doing this practice." And of course, but they also give reasons, don't they? And they, I think, oh, they did say that it but, was unrepresentative of a multi faith community. Yes, but if you actually go to the Human Rights Commission with a complaint, then you can get an order mm. saying uh, stop this practice. Mm -hmm. So Nusa Temple of Satan has written to the Speaker of the House saying, as we read it, you're not allowed to do this. And um, I think this is one where the, the temple will actually get other religious groups to join, like uh, mm. maybe the Buddhists or maybe... One, some one other of the commenters on Facebook mm. was going, but none of the other religions are complaining. Yeah. So hopefully they do. Yeah. I think some of the more obscure, smaller ones might. I would assume so. Yeah. So the temple's going to reach out to those groups and say, let's do this as a representative action and, um, and try and get changed. And 
the Christian lobby will say, well, it's been a tradition that we do this. It's part of our Judeo-Christian heritage. We've been doing it a so long time. Birding. Yes. And the, <laughs> and the point is that under the Anti-Discrimination Act, there's nothing there to say that maintaining a tradition is a defence or a, a reason to excuse you from discriminatory behaviour. So, I'm a little bit surprised mm. that the Muslim community hasn't um, complained about that because, mm. I mean, you know, they're only a few percent of the population, but they're still part of the community. And mm. to have a strictly... Um, yeah. Christian mm. religious observance in the parliament doesn't seem re- very representative of the entire community. Well, let's face it. You've got to get a lot of shit from people for doing it. and maybe, For, for and, complaining. Yes. So I would have thought the Muslim community would just probably go, oh, God, is it worth it? Do you think? Mm. Yeah, is, it, is that a good theory? That's just like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. So it's really the Satanists who just say, pick your battle. I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'd rather get their mosques built. Yes. <laughs> Given the shit that they went through yeah. whenever yeah. it was, trying to build a mosque and right. all the Christians were going, not in our backyard. Yeah. So they, they I suspect... Want to keep the population on side. Yeah, mm. I would think. But if it's offered up, they might agree. Who knows? be interesting to see. It will. It'll be a tricky decision for the... Muslims to agree with the Satanists on anything. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. It's fun to imagine, though. Yes. So um, have a look at the website for Noosa Temple of Satan. There's a donations link. Uh, we need money over there for freedom of information applications and other stuff. So feel free to drop a few dollars in the um, coin tin there. Right. Now, we've got a message from... Now, earlier on this evening, Shay was again bonding with Mrs. Fist over the length of the episodes. <laughs> My wife was saying to, say, saying to Shay, make sure I finish early. <laughs> yeah. So we had some, uh, we've got a message from Landon Hardbottom here, so I'll just play uh, what Landon's got to say. Fist, 12th man, Joe the tech guy, new girl Shay, Hardbottom here. New girl, you're not the first person to suggest shortening the length of my podcast, but I remind you the last person who made that suggestion received a visit from two rather large chaps who were there to perform knee surgery on him. I have a carrot for you. You can sit there and be the voice of all women in Australia and drink free beer. And now the stick. If you persist in this attempt to shorten my podcast, those two rather large men that I spoke of will bundle you up, place you in a French nuclear submarine, retrofitted to run on diesel. You will be sent to my secret lair beneath a volcanic island. There, you will be tied to a chair atop a tank of hungry sharks, each one fitted with a Jewish space laser. There, you will be forced to listen to an endless argument between Fist and Twelfth Man about COVID-19 and how deadly it is and the effectiveness of lockdowns. The choice is yours. That's a, that, it was all sounding pretty mild until it got to the debate that you had to listen to. The 
the Al- shark tank. Almost like a. But where is this going? An adventurous <laughs> holiday. <laughs> right. We better last an hour and a half just to keep you <laughs> away from the shark tank and away from the endless debate. Now, um, back to Megan and Harry and the interview with Oprah. And one of the things to come out of it was is uh, one of the members of the royal family seemingly made a comment, which was, I wonder what skin colour this kid will have when it pops out of Megan. And that was seen as quite a racist statement to make. And Paul, have you got any thoughts on that issue? I think um, it was extremely mischievous of them to to mention it at all. Mm. I mean, because then they refused to name who it was, and mm. you know, to to sort of make that sort of allegation and just leave it hanging. Mm. I think was extremely mischievous, uh, designed to to damage you know the monarchy, to damage the firm as they call it, and um, I don't know. I th- I think it was very poorly judged on Harry's part, and certainly on Megan's part too. She hasn't exactly endeared herself to the family by doing so. Um, I mean, if she ever wanted to get along with them, I think she's blown it forever now. But it's an extremely mischievous allegation to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, obviously, for good reason, racism is considered a a very bad thing, you know, by Mm -hmm. most people around the world, and rightly so. But to, you know, to, to smear the entire royal family like that, I thought was uh, very, very poorly judged. Shay, do you think that if you're going to make a statement like that, you should say who said it or is it okay to leave it up in the air? Or just say a person unnamed? Um, I hadn't thought about it like that. Mm, I hadn't uh, either until you mentioned it. Mm. Mm. Um, I suppose you put your money where your mouth is. Mm. Um. I don't know. Would it possibly be worse? Maybe it was like one of the ones that's already. Uh, The implication was it was either Charles or uh, William. Mm. Or William, really. Yeah. Mm. Because I initially thought that has to be Philip for sure. But then they said it wasn't Philip, which is interesting Mm. that they did that. So I think if you can make that statement, just say who it is. Mm. And. Well, it was tied to the statement that. Mm. Uh, Archie isn't going to be a prince. Now, this has been misrepresented. Mm. He isn't a prince because of royal decree from 1917, so nothing Mm. to do with skin colour. However, when the Queen dies and Charles becomes king, he would automatically become a prince. Mm. Yes. And Charles has said he wants to reduce the number of princes in the royal family and therefore would probably cut out most of his grandchildren except those in direct line for the throne. Right. The allegation was that he was plotting this because of the colour of the baby's skin and not because he sees the royal family as being bloated. Really? Yep. Oh. Anyway, it's, it's I don't know, was, if somebody was just pondering, I wonder what, wonder what skin colour this kid's going to have. Is that necessarily racist? No, and, and I was just going to say that. Mm. It's not necessarily racist, is it? Because, because um, Paul, you have be- mixed, mixed race children. 
I yeah, the the mother of my children is Japanese. Mm. I, you know, I, I I personally don't subscribe to the the idea that we're different races, but no. yes, if you know, in the common parlance, they mm. are. Mm. Um, so was there curiosity as to what your children would look like? For who? Nobody ever mentioned it in right. my family. Mm. I mean, if that's what you're you're implying, no, nobody mm. in my family ever mentioned it. No, I'm just but, curious. But, but I mean, after a baby's born, it's quite normal to say, oh. The baby's got this trait from its father, or this trait from mm. its mother. Like it's got long legs, or or, or colour hair, or, or or whatever. <laughs> like that's quite normal. Yeah, well, to say what traits, a physical traits, a baby looks like it's got from its parents, it, and that's and seen. Do talk about, and that's seen as quite a reasonable thing to say. Absolutely, Which, um, uh, you seem to be ready to object to, to <laughs> yeah. where I'm leading this. So, well, so, I um. I went hunting with all the gender stuff. Oh, yeah. um, really, it was really about that Japanese article. Mm. But I found today um, a thousand terrible things Australian men have said about women. Mm. And um, there are some um, some men that feature almost every year. And it got me thinking about mm. your remarks about context. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's pretext to the context. So... <laughs> this is follow okay. me on this. So mm. John Howard features in this book quite a lot as one what's called an Ernie Award almost every year for a whole range of things. One of the examples is that he issued an edict that women were not allowed to wear pants in his office. Really? So says mm-hmm. this book mm-hmm. and a whole range of other things. So you can mm. imagine I have this pretext about John Howard and then I get pregnant and then he just – he just happens to want to know what gender my baby will be. Do you understand? So it's like Sorry. after years of him making remarks, when having these edicts, or, <laughs> I didn't. I'm using it as an example, right? Sorry, say so that again. I, I just got distracted because I was looking at – say that again. Sorry. Okay, so, so the pretext is, is that John Howard is sexist yes. and then I work for John Howard, haha, an example, yeah. and I get pregnant and then he just happens to innocently ask me mm. what gender my baby will be. Right. So with that kind of pretext, then what is the context of this conversation? Like right. it's, it potentially could be really offensive. To ask. So, so to what ask I'm saying is what? Meghan Markle's interview, the pretext was is that she was suffering a lot of different types of pretextual um, kind of uh, offensive things, and then this was just on top of mm. all of the other things. She was mm. feeling abandoned, you know, not right. welcome, and then right. this happened. Right. So that's where I'm kind of standing okay. is that if I can a... appreciate yeah. that that would be potentially a hurtful remark okay. given a s- the pretext. A, s- a statement on its own that might appear to be fairly neutral could have a more sinister or nasty implication if there's a lead up to it by Boom. other stuff. Yes. Or, right. or somebody right. who is uh, whose nerves are worn raw by general surrounding mm. is oversensitive to a, an innocent remark. Mm. Could also be. Possibly. So she has experienced racism in America mm-hmm. uh, and an, yeah, an innocent remark was taken out of context. Mm. Could either be. Mm. So she's seen mm. it as being something that it isn't. So it could Possibly. be either. Possibly. So if there is no pretext to the context, <laughs> yeah. and it's just a simple remark of 
Yeah, I wonder if the if this kid's going to have uh, skin. Uh, pale skin or or olive skin, mm. particularly because Harry is a redhead. So. So, uh, so actually, on that with, with point, pasty white skin, presumably. <laughs> yeah. um, do Do you not remember the whole? It looks a lot like his what his mother's butler, but it, well, uh, what you know, the rugby Careful. player, wasn't it? <laughs> so yeah, whoever it is, her assistant player. or bodyguard or something like yeah, that. Like Harry is definitely very, very different from Charlie. He definitely looks a lot like this. this uh, was it a bodyguard or a or an assistant or I can't remember. whatever? Yes. Who was a have you heard this sort of stuff about Harry before? You haven't heard this no. before? Right. Seriously? Right. I haven't either. Yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah. Right. So, um, anyway. Scuttlebutt. It, uh, it's, it's not, given that it's quite normal to look at a baby and to s- make statements about what features mm-hmm. a baby got from, physical features yeah. that a baby got from either parent, yeah. and skin colour is a physical feature, it is quite possible to make that statement in a circumstance that's not meant to be racist or derogatory, but simply, I wonder. Yeah. Or, and, uh, and, and, and it and could even be, you? and it could even be, um, oh, you'd, you'd really want the kid to have olive skin because you have less trouble with sunburn and skin cancers Absolutely. and all the rest of it. So you'd kind of be like, oh, gee, you know, if you're a pasty white parent mm. and your partner had beautiful olive skin, you might say, oh, I really hope this kid has my partner's skin because this has just been... So it doesn't have to necessarily be derogatory or racist to contemplate the skin colour of an unborn child. And it all depends on context. But they didn't give any context that necessarily Mm. made it racist. Everybody just... They did give you some pretext, though. The pretext was she was having a hard time in the family and nobody loved her and she felt unwanted. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and she might have made some mm. of her own conclusions about mm. that. But yes, yes, yeah. Then people made you know additional remarks yeah. to it provide sounds, evidence. Sounds a bit mm. like mm. she was inclined to interpret it as racism rather than just as you know an off-the-cuff remark. Well, if you'd been subjected to a whole bunch of derogatory comments, that would be. Human nature like, uh, is what you're saying, Shay. Yeah. And <laughs> Rachel in the chat room agrees with you. Was, yeah, <laughs> this book was hilarious. Like, yep. Can I just give one more example? So the Courier Mail reported that the Olympic women's hockey team would not attract a big crowd even if they were nude. <laughs> I'd like to challenge that. I think if they were nude, they'd, I, I get, a, they'd get a big crowd. <laughs> Yeah. Stan Grant won an, an Ernie for his enthusiastic endorsement of an anti-cellulite cream that didn't work. Right. Really? Anti-cellulite I... cream? <laughs> didn't exist. Anyway. Right. Mm. We're nearly at the end of this gender stuff. Can I just say that mm. in, in my personal case, mm. I think my children uh, are both extremely attractive and I, mm. I love that combination of physical types, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I envy my daughter who got the more olivey skin. Right. Because she tans so beautifully. And I, I remember as a, as a teenager being so envious of people who could tan because I have quite pale skin. Right. So she did well out of it. Right. And um, I, I, Okay. I was at a dinner party just last weekend 
and one of the other couples who will now have to be rename remain nameless. It's talking about their kids. We've all got adult kids who are you know got different partners and whatever. And and um, the guy had this theory of hybrid vigor, which was that um, if you have mixed race children, it's just his theory. It's, was, an ag- it's common in was, agriculture, you, it is, you might be aware. It is, indeed, if you're breeding cows or whatever. That's right. Hybrid vigour. and Because right. um, I think one of his kids had met a Brazilian boy or girl and another kid had met a Thai boy or girl, yeah. I forget which. And he was extraordinarily happy and very welcoming and it was all great, But he was, and he was actually positive about the mixed race mm. nature of their union because he thought that a more... Um, Let's call it a crossbreeding of genetically of genetic diverse. Yeah. diverse material was going to lead to really strong offspring. Mm. Is, was his theory, and this was all said in a way that was not derogatory and was in fact mm. quite um, positive yeah. about mixed race marriages. I, I don't think Unions. it's safe to mm. assume that every you know mixed mm. so-called race uh, child would necessarily have that so-called hybrid vigor but mm. yeah it is a very common concept in uh, in breeding of uh, livestock in yes. agriculture mm. so we're really um getting very close to the eugenics <laughs> stock <laughs> shay rescue us from this <laughs> how did you allow us to get into that uh, why do you listen? You won't get this in regular mainstream media. You have to go to podcasts for this discussion. But hey, it's all honest and it's it's well intentioned. It's I, I not have a completely of, ridiculous. I have a number of friends, as, mm. as you would expect, um, in Japan mm. and elsewhere who married, you know, across those national boundaries and mm. uh, and had children and. Gee, you know, I, I really envy those kids because they've grown up with more than one culture to mm. draw on. And a lot of them, of course, as you'd expect, also are bilingual, mm-hmm. including my kids. Mm. Um, I think they have a great advantage in life. Mm. I found an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by this writer who was basically looking at this sort of these, um, these rallies and really having a go at what she called boomer feminism. And she was basically saying that uh, the feminism we celebrate is shallow and there are unintended consequences of boomer-era feminism. And um, significantly, boomer feminism brought us the sexual revolution in some perverse ways, the rape culture young women are currently protesting is a consequence of boomer failure to review the progress of the revolution. Centuries of tradition about the right and wrong way for men and women to interact were swept away, but there was a void which has been left for boys and girls to fill as best they can. And now this part here is from Quillette, actually, one of your favourite publications, Paul. Um, but it's from a specific writer. Yeah. Quillette yes. is not, you know, an ideologically uniform publication. They accept yeah. essays oh, oh. from a, a range of people. This is from Claire Lehman, the editor. Is it not by the author's name at the bottom? No, this is, uh, this is from Claire Lehman, editor of Quillette. Oh, this particular quotation. Yeah. But the whole article is written by Parnell. Yeah, but she's quoting, she's quoting Claire Lehman, okay. 
who's the editor of Quillette. Indeed she is. And she says, quoting Claire Lehman as saying, we haven't yet developed a vocabulary to deal with the disappointments, regrets, heartache, confusion and frustration that comes with sexual freedom. The irony is that in focusing so much on consent, we've forgotten about the emotional and moral valence of sex, so it's not surprising that many young people have no vocabulary to deal with its many complexities other than a black and white legal concept. Um, Thanks to the birth control pill, women and men can be free of the biological consequences of sex, but sex still has consequences. We are looking for ways to express um, and basically having a... this Returning back to this author who says... As a new generation of women makes itself heard, middle-class boomers should not once again make the moment about them. So there was an article that got sort of shared a fair bit from the Sydney Morning Herald about boomer feminism. Why are you shaking your head, Shay? Later nonsense. Yeah, article so triggering, so jarring, really? such bullshit. Because mm. uh, it's just like... Um, acknowledging progress on the one hand and halting it on the other. Mm. That's that's how it reads to me. Really? Yeah. I think it's so, a lot oh, more nuanced sh- than that. Yeah. What do I you think? I think she makes some interesting points. And look, I've I've thought about this quite a lot in recent years. And and I grew up uh, in this period. You know, I grew up in the sixties and seventies. And uh, I was one of the beneficiaries of the sexual revolution because when I was a young person, uh, you know, people were sleeping with each other very, very freely. And it was prior to the emergence of the AIDS uh, epidemic. And, um, you know, it was very free and easy. And on reflection, you know, at the time I thought this was great. Everybody's free to enjoy themselves, you know, and without the, the, the hang-ups of our parents' generation. But I, I don't know, I've, I've changed my view a little bit over the years, and I think that sex is not just another source of fun, you know. It, I mean, it's a very uniquely special activity that people do to procreate. Now, I'm not saying it should or is only about procreation, but I think, um, you know, there's, there's something about having sex with some, someone that makes the relationship different. And I think some people just treat it as just another activity, like, you know, playing a game of tennis with someone or something like that. You know what I mean? And I think, I think there is uh, an element of uh, uniqueness about having sex with someone sex is being devalued because it's too too available is that what you're saying but not only that i think there there are a lot doesn't come with the risks and responsibility that it used to come with and therefore it lost something well there's that but it i think it has a a very deep emotional component that a lot of people don't fully consider before they enter into a sexual relationship does it for everyone like, is not it, is it, I'm is not it, saying for everyone, but, no. you know, and, and I'd like to hear mm. Shay's opinion on this because, you know, people, people do say that women and men do have somewhat different, and this is a generalisation, it's not true for everyone, but have slightly different motivations for having sex with somebody. And, you know, there's the old, um, it's, you know, it's a joke, but uh, I heard somebody repeat it today, you know, and they said, 
women need a reason to have sex, men just need a place. <laughs> right. You know, it's this idea that men are just by nature more promiscuous than women. You know, men are much more right. likely to have sex with a perfect stranger that they've just met than a woman is. Right. Is, is that not, tr you know, a reasonable assumption? And, and, and I'm, I don't know I'm not saying I'm not that. asking. <laughs> I, okay, I'm not asking for you personally. I don't. Know. But you know, you, I only have anecdotal data on that. I don't. Know. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's genuine, it's true for everybody. But you know what I mean. And 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 well, somebody, can I mention one more thing? And because this also piqued my curiosity, and I I just don't know the answer. But it was suggested that, and maybe. Uh, Anyone who's gay and who's listening can, can give us some feedback. Is it true, and this is a, a wild assumption, that gay men are generally more promiscuous than gay women, for example? Robin or Scott, if you're in the chat room, give us, let us know. But, but because I think that, that would indicate if gay men are more promiscuous than gay women, then well, it, it could would... mean that there's just uh, less social consequence for that but but what i'm getting at is if gay men are more promiscuous than gay women then it follows perhaps that heterosexual men are also just you know that men in general whether they're heterosexual or homosexual or whatever men are just more promiscuous than women but none of that can really be blamed on boomer feminism can it no i, I think what um it's it's much no. like porn, the the availability of porn now, and people are blaming it for all sorts of things. Mm. And the problem is, we're not teaching our children that this is fantasy, that this isn't yeah. real life. Mm. We're not having mm. the conversations. The same, we've blown away the historical role models of uh, gender and sex, the getting married, yeah, only having your spouse, or for men having affairs mm. with other women, but. Um, these traditional models, we've blown them away, but we're not having the conversations about how do we replace that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that uh, we're lacking the conversations, we're lacking the skills to be able to negotiate, to be able to understand the complexities of human interactions mm. now that mm. we've blown away the rigid social structures that used to be there. Yeah. So part of the theory would be that that men sowing their seeds are sort of um, the long-term consequences aren't so great for them, whereas for women, they would be looking for a partner who's going to hang around and help them raise the child. Like in terms of hardwired evolutionary mm. sort of processes going on in the mind. Mm. Um, Not from in the a, mind. I think it's probably the, an the, un unconscious yeah, drive. Well, hardwired evolutionary mm. sort of thought processes that are within us. So um, if the basis is that people want their DNA to continue and to to be spread throughout the world, then f from a man's point of view, the more he gets around, then the more chance he has of his DNA being uh, distributed. Whereas for a woman, she needs from the biological sort of village mm. 
um, sort of situation, someone to hang around who's going to help her raise a child. The so best that, strategy that, for a woman is mm, actually mm. to settle down with a reliable man, mm. but to have an affair when she's ovulating right. with the best hunter-gatherer, the best hunter in the tribe. Indeed, yeah. yes. So when you talked about promiscuity, though, and men are more can promiscuous... I, before you go on, can yeah. I just mention one thing? Because yeah. you said, if a man wants... I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think yeah. it's purely instinctive. I think mm. men do it without thinking about it at all necessarily and, and women too you know we are you know instinctive creatures when mm. it comes to reproduction we we are hardwired to reproduce regardless of I, what we're I thinking. agree you hear a lot of stories and you go man you weren't thinking or if you were thinking you were thinking with your dick like that's that sort of a statement that comes out isn't it like there's actually so, um listening to justin lay miller who's a sex researcher mm. talking about he was interviewing someone who's done research on condom use mm. and the more turned on men are the less likely they are to use condoms right the same is true for women but to a lesser extent right so they are more likely to want to use condoms but they're still subject to the same sexual where basically when people are excited horny mm. they're less likely to make rational decisions mm. that makes sense it does make sense but if if we're talking about there's a you know more promiscuous men than women mm. but don't doesn't a promiscuous man need a promiscuous woman like not, not necessarily so wouldn't so who is he being promiscuous with Whoever's available and who who agrees to have sex with him. I'll, we're talking about heterosexual relationships. Like, just wouldn't it make sense that if you've got a bunch of promiscuous men, then if they're going to be promiscuous, they need a female partner to be promiscuous with. Wouldn't it more or less... But they don't unless, have to be in the same Unless you've got... Okay, so you could have profession in the world. Okay, so you could have a, a, um, a large There's number of... Tinder. A large number of men being promiscuous once a week and a small number of women being promiscuous every night of the week sort of thing. Is that what we're saying? Could be. For, for the numbers to even up. Because mm. just trying to think of how that works in terms of numbers. Mm. You know, well, small. they don't have to be even mm. numbers anyway, as we know. Anyway, there was a competing response to that article from Tory Shepherd in Crikey who just said in relation to that earlier article, bullshit, and basically she said that one of the lovely things about today, thanks to feminism and medical science, sex doesn't have to have consequences. Sex can just be a frolic. Thanks to the birth control pill and other devices, women can control their own fertility and can enjoy sex that is consciously uncoupled from procreation. Mm. Sure, talking about consent can be complicated, but is it really more complicated than the uh, centuries of tradition when no one talked about consent at all? Mm. So she's saying that. But somebody also made the point that uh, it... Um it's generally speaking women, and perhaps men, but women are obviously the ones who get pregnant. Women of the uh, poorer classes in society who generally, or are more likely to become you know, single mothers, and single mothers, being a single mother and being poor at the same time is obviously not a good thing for anybody. But you know, the sexual, so-called sexual liberation uh, is more of a benefit of middle class people than poorer people in in a sense. Mm. Even though contraception is obviously available to everybody, it's probably safe to say that middle class, better educated women and people in generally 
uh, more, what would you say, savvy about, um, you know, having having that available all the time? Don't know. But I have heard that um, people in their 20s at the moment are having less sex than 20-year-olds of 20 years ago. Really? In mm. Australia too? Yes. That's Somebody can Google that and tell us whether that's the case or not, but I've just heard that young people are having less sex today. It's been the case in, in Japan previously. for some time. Yes. According to reports. Right. Apparently they're also drinking less. Yes. So maybe well. there's a link. Yes, mm. maybe. It'd be interesting to find whether drug use has replaced that. You don't. Uh, <laughs> the legalization of marijuana. No, no, no. Oh. Drinking. All oh, right, yes. Ah. Ah. Possibly. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Um, came across a petition. I don't know how I stumbled across this, which was uh, recent movement into and out of the government cabinet seems to show a big increase in members of parliament who proclaim they are Pentecostal Christians. It may be a benefit to the average person to find out who the Pentecostal Christians are so they can frame their queries to the right person. We therefore ask the House to create a list of Pentecostal Christian members of parliament. It's a petition that's in place at the moment. Just a reminder, on the Iron Fist Fellow Glove website, there is the index, which gives a list of my understanding of the religious affiliation of different politicians and a score as to their secular Surely tendencies. that would be religious discrimination to purely pick on the Pentecostal yes. Christians. So yeah, that would be. So, so list but, them all. Well, I was going to say list mm. how religious people are and how much they believe that Religion has a place in government. Well, what they should be doing is they should be declaring it in their conflict of interest register. So uh, guys like Christian Porter and whatnot will list their membership of a poultry association or all sorts of obscure groups that they are members of because it's potentially a conflict of interest if they make a decision. And these people are about to pass laws potentially on a religious discrimination bill without declaring a clear conflict of interest if they are... Religious, so it's more a case of of that register well, should declare it for the reasons of a conflict of interest. There was also mm. there was the High Court case with the Catholic, mm. with the um, citizenship. Mm. Um, they were the, there was a court case because they were a Catholic that they had allegiance to both the Catholic Church uh, and allegiance to the Vatican. Yes, or something was that? Yes, that was the argument. Yes. Was because the Pope is the head of the Vatican, which is it another was country, allegiance to another country. Yes, yeah, I, that fell over pretty quick. That argument. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but for conflict of interest in terms of passing laws about religion, yeah, you should know what religion you are if you're going to grant favors and special privileges. So, and we know <laughs> that Morrison did mm. arrange a, a grant to uh, mm. the church he attends in mm. here in Sydney. So the best thing you can do at the moment is go into the Iron Fist Velvet Glove website and look at the secular index to see what's there. Fill in the blanks. Mm. Right. Um, just a quick one on News Corp because I like to pick on them every so often. And uh, Kevin Rudd spoke at the National Press Club and The Australian, owned by Murdoch, sent a reporter there and... Not a single Murdoch paper reported anything about Kevin Rudd at the National Press Club, where basically every other media organisation did. So they just all got the picture not to report on Kevin Rudd. They all have one mind somehow. 
And the other example of uh, Murdoch media acting of one mind was in relation to George Bush's invasion of Iraq. Um, 175 Murdoch papers worldwide. All but one, the Hobart Mercury, supported the war, but the Mercury was soon brought into line. So the editors and opinion writers uh, all happened to have the same opinion about that. But it wasn't war. just Murdoch's papers that were supporting it, was it? Uh, no, but it was Murdoch's 175 papers were all unanimous about it. And uh, you might struggle to find other papers that were so unanimous in such a broad diversity of outlets. 175. You might not. Mm. Unless you find, actually survey or all find, the other find one who newspaper wasn't. companies. I don't know. So, I, I wouldn't know where to start. It's just, it's just curious that uh, that they could all be so unanimous, even though they're so independently minded. Right, we've done the Japanese sexist comment. Oh, here's one. Um, so the burka ban. It's been a long time since we've spoken about the burka. Swiss voters have narrowly approved a proposal to ban face coverings, both the niqabs and the burqas, worn by a few Muslim women in the country, and the ski masks and bandanas used by protesters. So Swiss have voted about that. And the picture of the lady talking about this, she's wearing a mask, a COVID mask, obviously. It's a little bit... Odd when you've got a woman wearing a mask talking about passing a law stopping other people wearing masks. I know my view on burkas and things changed a bit after my visit to Japan a couple of years ago where I saw so many people wearing masks. This is pre-COVID. Yeah, but they were surgical masks. Not, yes. Not in, burkas. In, they in, weren't in, covering indeed. their whole bodies. They weren't yeah. covering their hair. It, no, but it, um, one of my big arguments for being against the burqa and the niqab was that I needed to, I felt I need to be able to assess other people around me as to whether they're a threat or not and as to their intentions. And when people have a face covering, you can't do that. And yet when people have a surgical mask because they don't want to pass the flu onto somebody... The same thing happens. You can't tell what's really going on in their face. And and I thought after that I was less vehement about my opposition to mm. the burqa and the niqab after that. And has anybody else changed their mind or lessened their hostility to religious burqas I, and I, niqabs? I think this is a short-term um, uh Band-Aid, whilst we have a pandemic. Uh, and realistically, you shouldn't be out and about if you're contagious. Now, whilst the majority of the population, or large numbers of the population are <coughs> contagious in the case of a pandemic, most of the time they're not. And realistically, if you are sick, you shouldn't be out and about in public or you know, as, as little as possible. And therefore, usually you wouldn't see people out with a mask on. Yes, but in Japan I saw lots. But is that just because they were sick or was that for other reasons? It's because they've either got a cold or they're afraid of getting one. But it's usually in Japan, I believe, it's usually people who have a cold or some kind of sickness and they don't want to share it with their colleagues. Or they don't want to put makeup on. So we had a guide 
into Tokyo. And she said, you know, sometimes when I'm just going to drop the kids off at the school and whatever, I don't want to put makeup on. I just put a mask on and go. <laughs> it was just an easy way of doing it. I lived Great in Japan idea. for, mm. as you know, a number mm. of years. I never heard a Japanese person say anything like that. There you go. It was always related to health. Yeah. So that was... So I'd, I'd say that was an idiosyncratic opinion rather than a general opinion. Mm. Anyway, so it made <laughs> sense. But anyway, I'm a bit less vehement about the mask for Berker and the niqab after all of this. Like there was a thing today where a woman in America was arrested in a bank not because she was wearing a mask <laughs> but because she refused <laughs> to wear a mask in a bank. <laughs> That's what the world's come to. So, interesting. Just before you go on, though, mm. where, does it say there in the article that it's about empowering women? No, it's not that. Why would it be about empowering women? Oh, you mean empowering Muslim uh, just, women? Just down the bottom here it says, supporters of the proposal, this is the vote to ban the yes. face masks, um, argued the full face coverings symbolise the, repression. the repression of women and said the measure was needed to uphold a basic principle that faces should be shown in a free society like Switzerland's. Mm. Well, that second part is sort of irrelevant because huh? because of COVID, <laughs> and the measure was needed to uphold a basic principle that faces should be shown. Well, <laughs> we're breaching that basic principle all the time now. <laughs> Even the woman uh, announcing it is breaching it. <laughs> but as Joe said, the, mask, the surgical masks are not expected to be a permanent uh, feature. Yes. It's They're a, not, but, but you know but what? To, they, might, they might, sorry, they might no. become more, more regular. Mm. They might. Mm. But I just wanted to know what Paul thought about that. About what? Well, you sometimes have this theme in your conversations around like, Really, people think they can legislate freedom, or we keep putting in these laws around liberties and freedoms. Like, you know, isn't this coming a little close to that, I'm, where we I'm, are legislating the to symbol, where legislating freeing women by not allowing them to wear the face covering so of their choosing? Are you assuming I'm su supporting this legislation? Well, I just wanted to check yeah, which, way you're going. which way you Yeah, do you support the banning of the burqa and the niqab? No, not necessarily. I, th I, think in, I think in certain contexts, like at an airport, in a, possibly in a bank, you know, in, obviously in a law court, mm. I think people should be obliged to show their faces, yes. Okay, but in the normal streets and around uh, town and in shops. I, I'm not comfortable with people walking around in burqas. I'm, mm. I absolutely find it bizarre and a little bit disconcerting. Um, but to legislate it, I, I think that might be a step too far. I'm not mm. really in favour of governments telling people what they can or can't wear, mm. except in certain uh, situations where security requires it. I mean, I personally find it strange to talk to people. Um, and I have, in, in my line of work, actually uh, worked with some Muslim women who did not reveal their faces to me. And I found it very, I mean, I, you know, I, obviously, I, I did it because that was my job to talk to these women. Uh, it wasn't my place to tell them what they should or shouldn't, you know, be wearing. And obviously I didn't 
you know, uh, treat them any differently to other people. But I did find it difficult to hear what they were saying sometimes. Mm. And it's, it's a little bit disconcerting to try and communicate with somebody and they've got this thing across their face which can make it difficult to hear mm-hmm. uh, what they're saying. But exactly. on the whole, you wouldn't stop them. You wouldn't I, pass I, it all. I think legislating it is perhaps a step too far mm. because, mm. as I said, I'm not really in favour of governments being able to tell us what we can or cannot wear. Mm. How about the French model where um, if you are on government property... So in here, um, uh, any of the bureaucracy, so post, post office, or uh, so government workers serving the public. You mean government workers serving the public in should school, not display in the courts, religious or government workers rather than visitors. I think I'm uh, not sure, but I think it's both. Right, but then, it's no overt religious symbols to be yeah. displayed. Mm. I, I can sort of understand that. Yeah, in a sense that the government is supposed to be secular, supposed to be. Uh, neutral. But that's the government imposing an, an authoritarian rule on the freedom of the staff. But, but French liaison yes. has always, has long been like that. Yeah. It is, but it's Paul's been long been libertarian. So well, this that's is true. The, this is the conundrum where it's, mm. a, it's a conflict of, of Paul's tendency to not pass laws that interfere with personal freedom. Yes. Hmm. In the chat room, Landon Hardbottom says, the surgical mask is their choice. Can we say the same for the other? Well, we have no idea, Lynn, and that's the problem, is have these people been coerced? Have they been, if you've been freely choosing it? Have they been so brainwashed by a system that, in fact, while they might say they are freely adopting it, they've actually been brainwashed in the same way that a cult member has been brainwashed? And not only brainwashing, we don't Trevor, know. It's, it's you know, it's, it's peer pressure mm. is a very strong force. Yes, but, but also if you think that a god is going to smite you dead, mm. yeah. or, or torture you in hell because of it, mm. is that a, is that a true choice? Mm. Mm. I remember when we talked about this years ago. One of the interesting theories was that older women in those societies were keen to keep the practice because it disempowered young, attractive women. Mm because they were hidden behind these garments and uh, it an put them more on an equal footing with the older ladies. Yeah. Well, Ayan so, Hersi Ali said the genital mutilation was carried out by the older women. Yes. yes. And, in fact, uh, they they were the ones who s- seemingly kept the practice oh, going. absolutely, yes. Rather than the men. Her, her father didn't want it done, mm. and when her father was out of town, it was mm. her grandmother who arranged right. it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, right, that was masks. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, famous gay activist. Born again virgin. He's found Jesus. So, do you believe that? I mean, I when I saw this article, I thought, really, he's he's having us all on, isn't mm. he? So he was the guy who made comments about Islam and and consequently was banned from entering Australia. Quite a provocative guy, and he's found God. And so he says that secular attempts at recovery from sin are either temporary or completely ineffective. Said Yiannopoulos, who married his boyfriend but now claims to have demoted him to housemate. More like housemaid. Mm. I think he's having us all on, frankly. I don't believe it for a moment. It's been suggested that he's merely doing this to be relevant. Okay. 
I Who just knows? don't believe it. Mm. When he was being uh, provo- well, provocative and mm. uh, in the news the last time, I remember having an argument in a pub with a pilot over him. Mm. And uh, <laughs> the, pi- the pilot kept insisting that Milo Yiannopoulos cannot be racist because he's in a relationship with a gay black man. That's all mm. there is to it. Right. So... Right. Yes, I think Milo Yiannopoulos might be having us on again. Were you (laughs) arguing that he is a racist? Yes. Really? Yeah. On what basis? Uh, The argument was years ago, Mm. so I can't get you the data. Mm. That's all right. Well, if you said all black people should be at the back of the bus, they should sit at a different counter. Did he say that? No, but I'm just saying if somebody said things like that, but meanwhile, had a black boyfriend. You could still say they're racist. If- However, the reason he so- got banned was he said that he'd had a sexual relationship as a teenager with an older man, right. and he didn't see that that was harmful. Yes, that's, that's right. why he was banned from that's, here. That's right. Yeah. No, that was why he lost his publishing deal. And yes, kicked off very. He got cancelled. Yeah, he got cancelled. Really? He was an early, yes. early casualty. Yes, with all the other things that I. No, to that have. was that was the thing he got cancelled for. Hmm. What was the age difference? Oh, I think he was 14 and the adult was in their 30s. And uh, was he recommending it? I think he was saying that he didn't What's see the pretext that it, to the context. He, he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't see it as inherently harmful, I think, was what he was saying. Right. But he wouldn't, wasn't promoting it. He's not actively as, promoting I, I, it. I don't think he was saying that everyone should go out and do it. <laughs> no. Right. We've come up to an hour and a half. And Landon Hardbottom has got his stopwatch out. Landon, are you in the chat room? And have we avoided the shark tank? And have the... you had your value for money yet? Yes, because <laughs> I'm going to call it an end to it. Next week, I'd like to talk about some topics that have been sitting here for a while. Um, um, really, how the religious right has taken this whole freedom and cancel culture narrative and adopted it for their own purposes and... The use of the term cultural Marxism I'd like to talk about. And we're going to talk about Sweden and lockdown and South Dakota. (laughs) And... um, Message from London, TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, a few things there that have been sitting for a while that we haven't got to. So uh, that can all be for next week. So... Hope you enjoyed the show, dear listener. Oh, I forgot again about the patrons. I've only had one new patron uh, lately, and that was Liam. Good on you, Liam. Thanks for being a patron. Uh, haven't had a new one for a while. I'm on Liam, so consider signing up if you haven't already. I will definitely get through the list next week. and Give it to me. I'll figure out a way of doing scrolling credits. Right. I, yeah, okay. But then if somebody's listening rather than watching. Oh, that's true. Mm. Okay, anyway, bye from me for now. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. And it's a good night from him. Forgive me, 12th man, for I have sinned. It's been forever since my last conscience vote. For 30 years, I've been a staunch Liberal voter, shaped by the union actions I witnessed in Queensland in the 80s, and reinforced by the carriage of the country by our Lord and Saviour, John Howard. My faith has remained strong until now. I'd always believed that the right was the light and the way. But over the past year or so, I've started questioning my faith, rather twelthy.
The pushing of religious agendas at the federal and state level is growing unchecked. The addressing and rectification of real issues which affect our society have given way to the mythical beliefs of individuals being held as a higher priority. This has led me to my most recent sin. I'm sorry, talk man, but for the first time in my life, I succumb to the lure of the underworld and I'm ashamed to say in the Queensland state election, I, I voted Labor. I know, I know, I was weak. But with the shit show that is the LNP at the moment and with Frecklington making gaffe after gaffe every time she opened a mouth, my faith could not endure. Sure, I could have thrown an independent a bone, but we all know how that turns out. I even considered the Greens. Well, I've lost my faith, not my fucking mind. So please, 12th man, I ask for guidance in restoring my faith in the loops. What can I do to make the right, right again? Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you... Get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.